Man, go ahead, have a seat. Uh, ushers, let's come forward. Let's give out how God has given to us. Uh, if you're here for the first, second, or third time, and you've got that connection card with 55 blanks in it, and you're thinking there's no way that thing's getting filled out before the basket's passed, don't worry about that at all. As soon as you get outside, there's going to be a table on your right with some really nice people and a gift for you because you matter to us and you made this place matter to you today. So we just want to say thank you with a gift. It's not a Costco teddy bear. It's something that you can carry to your car or carry as you walk home today. Our way of saying thanks for joining us today. Uh, as we've talked a lot. Uh, we own a piece of property that's two and a half miles from here. It's at the corner of Kings Canyon and Bergen. It's got four buildings. Two of them are done, ready for people to move in, specifically kids ministry to move in. And this week we started tackling the third building that we don't need permits for. Uh, and we were looking at what's going on and we pulled back uh, some of the plywood. It is the oldest building on the premises. Uh, it's like pre-1950. So we're just kind of wondering what's behind the plywood. Uh, we pulled it back to look at the, look at the two by fours, see what's going on there. And this is what the two by fours look like. Uh, I don't know if you can tell from the screen, but that's not good. We had termite problems before we bought the place. Right away, we tinted it and killed all the termites. But that still looks like food and dinner for a whole lot of termites for a really long time. So we thought, okay, let's keep pulling back plywood. Let's see what all is bad, what's rotten that we need to get rid of. Uh, and on Friday morning at about 11 o'clock, this, uh, this is what was left. Yep, we're going for a very open approach to things. This is a very, it's good. You know, the, those building home shows things, they'd love this business. Uh, but, but two by fours in the hands of the right people with now plywood in the hands of the right people is going to look really good by the end of it. And those pictures point to what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're in week three of our rampage through First Timothy. And uh, in chapter one, right away, and Paul, the guy who's writing, who used to hate Christians until he became a Christian, so if you're skeptical here, you have found your guy. Uh, he goes after two leaders in the church whose lives were not worth building upon. They were not two-by-fours in the second picture. They were two-by-fours in the beginning picture where it's just rotten and they need to be pulled out. And so Paul is telling Timothy, a young pastor, he's saying, you got to do something about this because leaders matter. Today we're going to look at the qualifications that the Bible gives for church leaders. And for all of this, and for like the two by four, these are the things in our lives that don't show up right away. These are the things that sometimes we can hide. These are the things that we can put plywood and nice things on top of. But underneath all of us, there is a ticking time bomb of sorts until our worst becomes our public. And what Jesus wants to do in all of us today is as we look at the qualifications of the leader, we're going to see areas where God wants to work in us because all of us are here on assignment in some way or another, and we're here to make a difference in someone's life. All right, somebody made a difference in your life. That's how you got here today. I don't know if they promised you food afterwards or whatever, but there was something that went on that got you here today. And what we're going to see at the end is that for all of us, we have a leadership direction. We've got a mandate. We've got an address. We've got a destination that God wants to bring us to. But in the meantime, we're going to look at the role that leaders play and the role that we play as Christians living this out. And the first thing that we're going to see is that we all live out the truth for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus. All of us, we live out the truth for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus. That's a phrase that we throw around all the time here, people who don't yet know Jesus, because we believe that all of us have a need for a relationship with Jesus. It's not just something you can take it or leave it. It is basically going to, it is going to determine our eternity, and we know that following Jesus makes us better at life. He came to show us how to live, and in that, there are changes that all of us, me included, 
have to make in our life because God wants to take over everything. And so for us as a church, we live out our mission to see that happen and see people who are far from God be brought into the family of God. And that's what Paul begin, or ends the chapter talking about. We're going to read the ending and then have that kind of guide us through the beginning of the chapter. And so he says this in 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. He says, I'm writing you these things now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the house of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Remember that phrase, we're going to come back to it. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. We're going to get back to that one too. He was believed in throughout the world and was taken into heaven in glory. He's saying, this is how you act in my house. That I'm going to list out 22 things that, that are our way of living and leading as Christians within the church. And if you look at the 22 things and you say, okay, I'm like 19 out of 22. What's that mean to me? Does that mean I'm cut from the team? Does that mean I'm kicked out? No, no, no. Because the beginning of everything about our relationship with God, it begins on forgiveness. So as we look at things in our lives, in this list of 22, where we flat out do not measure up, and you look at me and you're like, Ken, you flat out do not measure up there. We worship a God of restoration. And so as we bring our whatever out of 22 that we currently are at, we bring that to the Lord, we're going to find restoration. We're going to find forgiveness. We're going to find new life. We're going to find God taking us from, from where we are and, and moving us into people who are going to live a life that makes Jesus look good, that's going to make the church look good in the community. And that was Paul's whole reason of writing the letter. He's saying, you guys, as a church, you have lost your direction. You're making Jesus look bad in your church. You're making your church look bad in your community. So we're going to come in, we're going to take out the rotted stuff, we're going to replace it with good stuff, and we're going to move forward. And we're doing that for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus. And for us as a church, this is a global thing. We worship a global God. Our purpose is to proclaim the good news of the, of, of the whole gospel to the whole person throughout the whole world. We're a global church in, in our desire to see people meet Jesus. And whenever we talk about it, I think there's a, this little bug that's in the back of our heads that say, you know what, you can't go global. You can't go to all those places. There's this great scene in the office where on the day that Jim and Pam uh, get married, they get married in a church, they do their thing at Niagara Falls, and they come back to the church, and everybody dances down the aisle and stuff, and there's one person in the office who doesn't show up at the wedding, and that's Toby. Toby is the worst character in the office. If you don't know anything about it, Toby is horrible, and uh, there's this scene like throughout, Toby like gets up to the doors, and he's like, no, I'm not going to walk into the church, and finally at the very end, when they're rolling the credits, Toby gets to the door, he's just about to open it, and he doesn't, and he says, why are you just so mad at me? Like we take that approach to this stuff where it says that we're supposed to proclaim and announce Jesus to the nations. We're like, I don't have a passport. I can't leave the country. Or because of my past, I can't leave the county or, or whatever you approach to that. And you think, man, all I can go to is my desk. All I can go to is my street. All I can do is make a difference at my, at my work. You know what? That's part of the globe. So as we look at God's desire to use us to announce the good news of Jesus to the nations, your desk, your cubicle, your shovel at work is part of the nations. So however it hits us, there are going to be people that we support, that we invest in as a church who take the good news of Jesus to places that I don't even know exists. Greg could be making up country names, but with that, there's also us being sent to our job sites sent to our dinner table, 
sent back home to be the example of Jesus to your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your son and your daughter. Like we do this, we live out the truth for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus. And Jesus, as Paul says, is the pillar and the foundation of truth. That truth is what Paul said two chapters ago in, in 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ Jesus came into the world not just to be a good teacher, not just to be a good example, but to save sinners. He's talking about Jesus' mission that God saw us before the beginning of time, and God loved us so much that he gave Jesus to be the offering for our sin, that he who never sinned became the offering for our sin to make us right with God. God did that because God looks at all of us with a very open and honest love, that he sees our sin. He sees the areas that we run away from God. And that for all of us who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in the way that, that our sin is building up payment, which results in death in our life, we also know that God, by sending Jesus, is bringing us the gift of eternal life through Jesus. That we live out the truth for the sake of people who don't know Jesus yet because there's freedom in Jesus, there's salvation in Jesus. That Jesus is the only way to God the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And to everyone who receives him, to them God gives the right to become children of God like we just sang about. That changes everything and we live out the truth for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus because that continues to happen. We have our tank on stage because we're going to do a baptism in about half an hour, and Trevor is going to come up and share his story with us right now about how Jesus has already worked in his life. And if you're here and you're outside of junior high and you've made the decision to follow Jesus, December 12th is going to be an excellent day for you to get baptized. And if you think December 12th is going to be really cold, we have a really good system of heating up water into the 90s, so it's really nice when you slide in and you're like, this is going to be the best baptism ever, and there's steam coming off the tank and the pictures are all epic and good and stuff, and that could be you in there. Don't wait till the summer when it's all calm and hot. No, December, steam baptism, that's going to be you. If you're interested in that, talk to me, Greg, uh, or Tim after service. We'll get you locked and loaded for December. But for now, let's hear Trevor's story. Hello. Before I was a Christian, I wasn't making wise decisions. I was stuck in a cycle where I would build my life up only for it to crash over and over again. I started believing in God in June. I knew that I wanted to change my life. And I wanted to get involved in church. I asked Jesus into my life on October 21st. I prayed with Jay. And I asked Jesus to take away my doubts and my fears. I was afraid I was going to keep going through the same cycle of making wrong decisions and letting the wrong people into my life. I left with a smile because I felt fresh that day. It's amazing that God would take away my sins, my doubts, and my fears. Since then, I have more faith and I'm happier. I am more confident and that I'm heading in the right direction I wake up every, every day with the excitement for life that wasn't there before. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and that is amazing. I heard the stories in the Bible before, but never, I, I never thought about what Jesus did for me. That he did everything for me. Makes me feel amazing. In Matthew 14.31, 
Jesus says to someone, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? It says so much to me, and it's powerful. It covers how I used to live. Fear is a liar, but Jesus is the truth. With Jesus, there is no reason to fear anything. I could walk on water. Today, I'm getting baptized because Jesus died on the cross for me. Thank you. All right, so after service, uh, the tank is going to be outside. The guys are going to come grab it right now. Uh, and we're going to have a baptism. It's going to be awesome. And the part that I love about Trevor's story is that Trevor's story needed somebody else. It needed somebody to say, hey, you want to get involved with church. You want to learn about who God is and God's love for you. You should come to Sunnyside. And, and the, the guy who told him wasn't in town that weekend. And so he arranged a ride for somebody to pick up Trevor and bring him to church. And what happened when somebody arranged a ride and brought Trevor to church and all that stuff? Trevor met Jesus and everything changed. For all of us, we have a role to play. That we, at the beginning of the statement, we live out the truth for the sake of people who don't know Jesus. And that's awesome because for, for us, it's, there's so many areas in our life where it's time to like get off the bench and get in the game. I had a friend of mine who played, college, who played high school basketball and then stopped in college because like, she was not good. Uh, she was the person who sat at the end of the bench, and by the end of her senior year, she had figured out that she could wear her regular school clothes under her warm-ups and just sit there the whole game because she was never getting in. So if it ever came and like, she took off her warm-ups, she'd be wearing regular school clothes. For a lot of us, that's how we take this idea of following Jesus, is we're just going to stay in our warm-ups. And what God wants to say is, no, 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 I'm putting you in the game this week. This is a week for us as a church to step forward in following Jesus, to take off our warm-ups, to put on our uniform, and to get in. And the first way that we're going to talk about doing that is through prayer. So as you walk in, in the big circle room, uh, off to the left-hand side as you're walking out, uh, there are a bunch of sign-ups for places for us to pray for the service next week. It's Thanksgiving service. We're going to do a meal after both services. It's going to be awesome because we're good at doing meals, and we have a phenomenal team in charge of the meal. The part that we can't provide, the part that we can't perform, is God showing up to change people's lives. That's why we pray. We pray because we want to live out the truth for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus, asking Jesus to get involved in the service in people's lives even before the service begins. When you invite them this week, God is going to begin working in their heart and has been working in their heart. And next Sunday, we're going to get to see miracles happen and people say yes to Jesus because as a church, we decided we're going to pray for next Sunday. So as you head out today, the first way to take off your warm-ups, get in the game, live out the truth for the sake of people who don't know Jesus, is to sign up to pray for a one-hour slot. And you're thinking, one hour? I have no clue what to talk about. Aha, we have bookmarks that lead you through how to pray for an hour, and they're like four pages worth of stuff to pray for. And this is our job to, as Christians to bring Jesus in this, to live out under his power and his plans what we can't do and what we don't know about. So we live out the truth for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus. And secondly, we live out the truth as we give Jesus full control of our whole life. Full control of our whole life. So that's redundant on purpose. Like I wrote it, wrote it and then read it. and like, that doesn't make sense, but it does. So what we're going to look at now is the 22 things that Paul says, this is what I want my church leaders to look like. And it's going to go through everything. And, and it's going to attack so many areas of our life where we have the opportunity to say, okay, God, I'm not measuring up here. This is on my power. On kin power, we fall short. So Jesus, I want you to come in and I want you to change this. And in this list, there is one skill. That's the ability to teach the Bible. That is the only skill that's listed in the whole 22 things. Everything else is a heart issue. 
Everything else is, is taking our lives and saying, okay, God, everything, I am giving you full control of my whole life to be fleshed out through skill. And so he says this, this is a trustworthy saying, if someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable person, or he desires an honorable position. An elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mysteries of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, which is a different name for or a different type of leader in the church, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. So he starts with the idea that, that an elder must be somebody whose life is above reproach. That means somebody who has no skeleton, somebody whose life cannot be spoken against. Because as church leaders, for all of us, you're on stage here, you're leading a life group, you're leading a shape group, you, you know, people know that you're a Christian at work or at school. That means that you are already a leader. Because people are looking to you maybe as the only Christian that they know. And so your life has to be something that is a good example to follow. We had some family over yesterday uh, because Ellie, my used-to-be eight-year-old, turned nine, and, and so we had family over to celebrate. Uh, and one of, the, one of our family members is my uncle David. Forty years ago when my parents got married, he, he was legally blind. So now 40 years later, he's like illegally blind. And what David does, Uncle David does when he comes to, the ch to our house for anything, is he walks in and goes to the same spot on the couch and sits down. Because if he's sitting the whole time, the couch is not moving and there's no little people for him to trip over. So as you sit next to him, he's going to talk to you, all that stuff. If you're a little kid, he's, you come next to him, he's going to play with you and everything. So like for the last hour of it, Uncle David, who although he didn't move, he was still totally engaged and playing with Micah because he loves Micah. And Micah, my four-year-old, almost five, uh, loves anyone who will give him attention. So at one point in it, Uncle David took his water and put his fingers in the water and then splashed the little water on Micah's face. Little water, little fingers, little kid with a little brain who gets a little idea that I'm totally fighting back on this one. So while Uncle David splashed some water on his face, Micah walked over to the fridge, stuck the cup on the water dispenser, which spit out a lot of cold water. And then when Uncle David did not see it coming, Micah goes and throws the cup right on his face. So he goes, whoa, because all of a sudden it's a whole lot of cold water all over his hair. He doesn't need to shower today. And we all look over there, and the first thing Uncle David says is, that was my fault. I started it. I put water on him. He put a whole lot more water on me. As Christian leaders, that's our, I, that's our DNA, is our lives are based on, okay, this is, this is my fault. Follow me in this. When things are going well, follow me. When things are not going well, we make a public U-turn for people to see because we don't want our lives to be something that can be spoken against. And so in those 22 things, Jesus walks us through four big ones. The first is our lifestyle. 
This goes to everything from your character, your reputation, your personality, the way you talk, the words you use, your kids, the way that they act, the way that they act in response to, to, to Jesus, and also how long you've been a Christian. Like, I, I looked at that this week, and I'm like, really, that? Like, that's kind of a turnoff. Like, how do we say, this is the good news of Jesus, you can't be a leader in the church yet. Like, I, that, like God, how do we work with this? How do we, do we do this? And what I felt like God's saying is, these are the things in life that can't be microwaved. There's so many things in us, in our society, in the way that things are, that we have everything fast. And what he's saying is, I want to develop patience in you. Uh, this week, the, there's been a bunch of stuff that's going on with the building and going slowly. And I was talking to someone, and I'm like, I'm just furious. Like, I'm frustrated with us. And he said, this is a patience issue. Patience is fruit of the Holy Spirit living in our lives, growing out of us to show the evidence of God in us, which means that my impatience isn't just a personality flaw, it's sin. And so God wants to develop patience in me and lead me to the person that he wants me to be. And for people who become Christians and want to step into leadership right away, God is saying, you know what, I want you to slow down because I want to slowly refine you and make you into the man or the woman I created you to be. I'm going to work on your lifestyle, which can't be microwaved. So following Jesus, we do it in with our lifestyle and the way that we live and act. And the second way is we follow Jesus in our sexuality. And what he's talking about here is faithfulness at every level. Because God's plan, God's design for sex is for it to exist between one man and one woman in one marriage for one lifetime. That's where he set it up. And if there are areas in your life where that's gone completely sideways, we worship a forgiving God and we worship a restoring God. Which means that he's going to go in, he's going to take out what's broken, and he's going to replace it with what's right. Because he's a God who loves to do work in us. And there's never a point where we're going to bring ourselves to Jesus and he's like, that's too much. We're going to bring ourselves to Jesus. He's going to put on the tool belt. He's going to say, let's get to work. Let's make a difference. Let's make you more into the man and the woman that I created you to be, even if it is something awkward like your sex life. It's not awkward to God. It's an area of restoration to God. And he's saying, I want discipline. I want faithfulness at every level. And the reason that, that I think that's a big deal before marriage or after marriage or before marriage and during marriage to pursue sexual purity and to keep sex within marriage is because exercising that beforehand, exercising the discipline to stay sexually pure before marriage is going to reap a benefit throughout your marriage because there's a pattern of controlling sexual desire, controlling all desires. Because it's not like when you get married, there's no more, no more temptation or no more discipline that needs to happen. This is creating a pattern, especially in our sex lives, around self-discipline. And that's a characteristic of any leader, is self-discipline. And so Jesus puts a light on our sex life in this to say, this is what I want in a leader, discipline in sexuality and discipline in every other area. The third area is around substance, verse 3, and then scattered throughout. He talks about alcohol. He says he must not be a heavy drinker. Like that's a no-brainer if you want to stay healthy and want to stay alive for a long time is to not be a heavy drinker or you lose control of your body because of how much you drink. And for us as church leaders, it's doubly important. It's not just physically important, it's also spiritually important because we want to be people, and this is true for me, Pastor Tim, Pastor Greg, everyone who serves here at Mountain View Sunnyside as pastors and always will be, that we're going to not just say, okay, don't be a heavy drinker. For the sake of people who struggle with alcohol, we're going to pull the line all the way back to say that we're not going to drink. Because we want to be able to be there for people who struggle with alcohol. Where you look at this and you're like, don't be a heavy drinker. You're like, well, there, there, there it goes for me. 
For those of you who the struggle to stay sober 100% of the time is a real struggle, we want you to know that you've got somebody that you can walk through life soberly with, that we're never going to be a stumbling block around alcohol as leaders, that we're going to pull that line back all the way to say that for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus, who struggle with alcohol, we're not even opening that door. Instead, we're going to live as far back from the line as we possibly can so that others can find freedom in Jesus. We're giving up our personal freedom around alcohol. We're over 21. We can buy it legally. We can drink it legally. But we're giving that up for the sake of people who need to find freedom from alcohol and find a relationship with Jesus, not with alcohol. And he's saying, man, being the leader means that you're the first one to sacrifice. You're the first one to, to give up your freedom for the sake of other people, even if it's around alcohol. You're choosing the gospel over personal freedom. And the fourth thing is you follow Jesus through your money. Man, it's all from God. It's all for God. That's what we say every week when we take an offering. And money, following Jesus with our money, giving the 10% right away, and then managing the, best, managing the next 90 the best way we can, is us showing the world that we trust that Jesus is better than money. We're not just going to say it, but we're going to live it out, that Jesus is better than money in every other area. And for all of us, we live out the truth for someone. That, that's the end of it, that, where it hits us, is for all of us. We are a leader. We are in the position of Christian leadership for someone. Your address, your job, your gifts and abilities and talents that put you in touch with other people that you wouldn't know otherwise, that's something that's divinely created by Jesus. If you're good at soccer, Jesus made it that way so that you can get to know people who, are also, who also play soccer but don't know Jesus. Like your address is chosen by Jesus. Your job is chosen by Jesus. The people that you interact with who don't yet know him, those are all set up by Jesus. For all of us, we're going out this week on mission because we're living out the truth for someone. One of the big points about how we get involved next week is we're going to bring people with us to church. As you walked in, uh, you've got an invite card that has all the details about next week, including the fact that there's going to be a meal. So as you're going through this week and as you're rubbing shoulders and sitting across tables, whether it's at home or at work or, or wherever, with people who don't yet know Jesus, our job is to invite them this week. We're asking them to come here where they're going to meet Jesus. And Jesus who changed your life is going to change their life. Because we are all living out the truth for someone. We're on mission. God creates leaders because leaders matter. And that's how we solidify everything that goes on here as a church. But that's not just where it all happens. It all happens as we live out the truth in the rest of our lives. That the hour that we spend here on Sunday fuels the other 167 hours of us being salt and light in the world around people who don't yet know Jesus. And so that's the last way to get involved for next week is we're taking the invite cards, we're going into our lives, we're going into our jobs, we're going into the places that we interact with other people which are all set up and designed and on plan and on point from Jesus because this week we're gonna live out the truth for someone. And that could be as much as inviting them to church Sunday where they're gonna meet Jesus and everything's gonna change. And it could also contain whatever God has in plan for you. But the bottom line is we're living out the truth for someone. We're doing it because somebody did it for us. That's how we got here today. That's how we met Jesus today. And we're doing that for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus. Let's stand and pray.